Welcome back to another episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast hosted by the Samuel D. Witt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice. My name is Destiny Jenkins. I am the Assistant Director for Operations at the Institute. And today I have a very special guest with me, founder of The Message, advocate for higher education, and keynote speaker, Frederick Chagog. Thank you for being here with us today, Freddie. Oh, thank y'all. I'm blessed to be here, humbled, and um, grateful to be able to share my truth on this platform. Yes. Okay, so can we start by you telling us um, just a little bit more about your background story? Yes. Um, you know, it's wild. I, th the goal was to be Peter, Peter Jennings. That was the goal, um, but life got in the way, uh, which was a good thing because it gave me purpose. My story is simple. I, I uh, almost five, it'll be five years, June 21st, 2016, that by God's grace and mercy, I have five years of sobriety. Uh, my story started very young. At 12, I was in uh, my first institution, suicidal ideation. And through the years, I've been in about 20 rehabs. Uh, and five years ago, I was homeless, dumpster diving, begging for change, um, panhandling, spiritually, emotionally dead. And an uh, African-American man, person of color, woke me up. I asked him to let me die. And he said, you're not dying today. He called the ambulance. I was then uh, placed in treatment. I stayed 78 days. And then there I learned to make my days count and stop counting the days. I got a year under my belt as far as recovery. I entered college. Once I entered college, I realized I had a gift to communicate. I started the message and the rest is history. And then I met Miss Brandy Jones. <laughs> that is awesome. That is that. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. Yeah, so very blessed. You've mentioned your 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 struggles with homelessness, um, substance abuse, and mental illness. Yes, How exactly were you able to turn things around for the better? So I get asked all the time, you know, Freddie, how did you go from homeless dumpster diving to being a national keynote speaker? And the answer, to really honest with you, is God and grind. What I mean by that is, I, I when, once I got to treatment. I started realizing that I wasn't a mistake. I started realizing that I had an illness that needed treated. So I had to realize that my lifestyle had to change, meaning I had to do prayer. I had to do yoga. I had to eat healthy. I had to work out. I had to do fellowshipping. I had to do different type of spiritual programs because I, I thought about it. If I put myself in deadly situation and I keep surviving, maybe I'm surviving for a reason. Maybe there's a purpose. And as I've gone on and as I've been speaking, what I've learned is when I was digging in that dumpster, I wasn't digging there, digging in there for myself. I was digging in there so that I could use that pain to help somebody else never have to go through that. So I, I've just learned it on my on my journey and on my way that I had to change my lifestyle. I had to have a foundation of health as well. Because I, I, I used to believe that like a better job, a better car, a better degree, my life got better. But then I had to realize my life got better because I became a better person. And for a long time, it was about the theatrics of what the outside looked like instead of what my actual soul was. And so once I realized it was about fixing my soul and a life of health, that's when things changed. Mm. That is a testament. That is a testament. All right. Um, can you tell us about the message and what are some of your most recent speaking engagements? Yes. Uh the message, true story, how the message got founded was I told um, my fiance that my first year in recovery, 
I said, we need to go to Washington, D.C. I need to see history. We need to go to the museums, the monuments. I need those things to uplift my soul and help me figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I was standing in front of Martin Luther King's statue, and I said, man, one day I want me a statue. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? That's my keynote speech. What is your legacy? So that's how I came up with the what is your legacy speech. For the message, it's simple. Uh, by God's grace, I have four keynotes in the, between now and um, April. I'm doing a workshop for the Human Diversity Conference at Kutztown University. I'm doing a I'm one of the opening keynote speakers. There's two keynotes, and I'm blessed to be the opening keynote speaker at the Missouri Mental Health Impact Summit. Um, I'm then doing speaking for Montgomery County Community College, where I'm doing two events. I'm doing a professional day with the teachers, and then I'm doing a day with the students. Um, and then I also was asked to be the keynote speaker at the Penn State Harrisburg and Dolphin County Drug and Alcohol. So that's uh, what I do. I speak on mental health, substance abuse, and my goal is to empower people to empower other people and just bring an awareness and, and upliftment and, and understanding what this walk looks like. Okay, awesome. So in your keynote speech at the National Association for the Education of Homeless Children and Youth, you had discussed how your professors at Delaware Community College believed in you academically. Yes. Um, I thought that was really important. Can you talk a little bit more about mentorship and how important it is for professors to provide direct support to their students? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. It's one that I wish I would get asked more. The bottom line is, the reason that the powerful are able to stay in power is because they don't share resources. And that's one of the things that Delaware County did that I'm so grateful for. I literally believe I was placed in front of teachers that understood that their job as educators is to serve. It is not to hoard information. Meaning when they saw me write something, they said, how can we get this published? Not just your grade. When they saw me speak, they said, Freddie, I know this conference, go apply. They were willing to share resources and networks, which allowed me to have doors open. And when those doors opened for me, guess what? I opened up for somebody else. So basically they started a chain of helping people. And I think that is why I'm at where I'm at. One of the reasons, but the other reason is, is that the people I was dealing with were people that had power, people that had platforms, and they were willing to share that. And, and I just think as educators, as people that are given power, we need to understand that our jobs are not for us to hoard that. The greatest gift about knowledge is the ability to be able to share it. And, and, and I just wish, and that's one of my goals when I'm teaching and when I'm mentoring myself, is that I tell the people I'm mentoring, listen, I'm here to pass on you this wisdom. But my real goal is for you to create and build your own kingdom because I'm building mine, but really mine gets bigger as yours gets bigger as well. So that's how they really helped me. They shared resources. Mm. Okay. All right. That's amazing. So can you also touch on your unique experience with keynote speaking nationally? Um I just thought that while being a student at Delaware College, the duality of you being a student in the classroom on a Monday while preparing to speak at a university nationally on a Tuesday, how did having a collegiate experience in real time translate to your speeches when encouraging the next generation of students? Great question. Uh, these are really good <laughs> questions. I wish, I wish people would ask me more. What it did is it did two things. It put me on both sides of the fence. 
let me explain you a story. When I was at a conference, I won't name it because I don't want to make the conference look bad, but I was at a conference and I was at this at this networking event with all these provosts and higher ups. And I gave my elevator pitch to one of the administrators at a certain college. And this person said to me, what do you do on national keynote when you haven't even gotten your PhD yet? What that told me was, is that there's a fundamental system in place. And when I realized that, I realized the gift that I had and the blessing that I had to be on both sides of the fence. So when I stand in front of a group of students on a Tuesday and I say to them, I know what it feels like to have to do homework, to have to work a job, to have to pay bills, to be tired at night, Microsoft Word ain't working, dealing with professors and all that. I understand what that's like because I'm a student too. So they might see me up there with a student. They, I mean, they might see me up there with a student. They might see me up there with a certain vocabulary and, you know, just bringing with hope. But it also gives me credibility because I'm not coming up there with just my resume. I'm coming up there as one of them. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, as far as with the teaching, is that when I enter the classroom and they know what my resume is, they don't approach me the same way. Like they, they understand that challenge me. They understand that, I, I, like, I email all my professors a month before class even starts because I'm setting up a rapport immediately because I understand lines of communication. I'll ask them questions about conferences they know about. I'll ask them questions about publications and journals. It, I, I think it, it, iron sharpens iron, and I think it makes it better for the teachers to have a student like me rather than just have robots coming through. Here's your syllabus. Here's the work. Here's what you must do. It allows them to grow as well because some of the teachers I've spoke, I, I've dealt with, they've said to me, Freddie, you got more keynotes than I've ever had. And I've been teaching for 20 years. So I think it's a good thing because I think it keeps 11 playing for them. So you've also stressed um, how crucial it is to maintain a healthy lifestyle physically, emotionally, and mentally yes. and spiritually also. Yes. So as we endure the lasting effects yes. of the COVID-19 pandemic, can you share some practices that have kept you grounded daily? Absolutely. I And this is what was the blessing about being sober. And I tell people this all the time. The reason I was able to produce in college is because I learned to love the labor more than I love the fruit. What do I mean by that? Here's my mentality. Everybody always says, Freddie, what's your uh, best speech? What's your favorite one? Here's the answer. The next one. The reason I keep a mentality like that is, is because when I wake up, eat right, work out, do all this stuff. Now, let me be very clear about this. I'll do none of this perfect. But I'm saying in an overall sense, prayer, meditation. Before I even enter the classroom, I put myself in the best position to be my best self. So when the work comes at me, I'm already well read. I'm already well nourished. I'm already mentally right. I'm already prayed up. I'm already medicated. I'm already checked in with my family. So when the work comes to me, I'm already a weapon to be able to deal with the work. So that, and I keep telling students, I keep telling professors this, we need to change the ideology of college of producing healthy students rather than just producing graduating students. Because if you have a healthy student, if you have a student that when he's outside the classroom, he's researching his information. If he needs to take psychiatric meds, he's taking that. If he needs to take regular medication for any physical illnesses, he's doing that. He's eating healthy. He's in meditation. He's connecting with positive people. He's he's working out, he or she. Um, like when you have a student like that, you're going to get the best fruit out of them because their foundation is health. And as we know, and as we've seen since COVID, Overdose rates and suicide rates have gone up. 
Why is that? It's not because America's stupid. It's not because we're not intelligent. It's not because we don't have creativity and ideas. It's because our foundation is broken of not being about health. And I think until we address that, I think until we look at that and realize, wait a minute, these students have brains, but these brains aren't well nourished and they're not healthy. So we need to focus on how can we make them their healthiest. So for me, prayer, yoga, meditation, healthy diet, workout, positive people, all that produces a solid fruit of 3.8 motivational speaker, graduate, all that stuff. Yes, that's awesome. And that bring that that brings me to my next question, because in Work at Health, you touched on the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on students in recovery. Um, you mentioned it before just now, yes. but um, do you believe that being in the quarantine and social isolation has helped or hindered this demographic? And how can we work as a community as a community um, to kind of uplift this demographic? So let me answer that last part first. The way that we help this program is to allocate funding. We need to have people in the rooms of policy. Benjamin Franklin was right. Justice will not be served until the unaffected are as affected by those who are. And the bottom line is, for some reason in this country and maybe even in the world, we do not care about things until they personally hit home. So we mm -hmm. need to have people in those rooms with oversight that allocate funding to these programs that will ensure when the students in recovery have a pandemic hit, that we make sure we have resources for them to have, that even though they're at home, they're still taken care of. Even though they might be dealing with things at home, they have places that they can go in virtual settings to allow them to be okay. I think this has affected this demographic in two ways. Number one, we are connectivity people. We are people, people in recovery that I know, and it's speaking for my own self, we like to connect with others. That's how we stay well, by helping others, by, by doing things with other people. Isolation causes massive, massive problems. Number one, just take students in recovery out. They found an evidence and research that showed that just locking somebody up in a cell for 24 hours a day is torture. They, they, they've done studies on that. So we know it doesn't even work with somebody that doesn't even have these issues. So it's affected this demographic terribly because you're taking a person that deals with a lot of people, they, their, their movement, their, their, their brains, you know, the frontal lobes and all they, they, the decision-making, all those things go into play with a person that's in recovery. And they've done research and studies on this. When you isolate that person, you put them in a vulnerable position. Um, so I think it's done that. The other thing too is I think the good thing that's come out of this is there have been some beautiful things. Now the virtual world has opened up the spiritual aspects and the, and the different uh, help, self-help groups and support groups that can go on that where people that are in Atlanta can now connect with people that are in Boston. People in Boston can now connect with people that's in London. I go to different types of meetings online now, and I've met people from all walks of the globe. So it's also done that good as well. But I definitely think this demographic has been affected because I think that policy has failed us over the years, and we see that with the suicide and overdose rate. We've been in a pandemic for a while now, but what can we expect from you and the message uh, moving forward? Uh, working on my first book. That's number one. Um, working on that. And I have a thousand editors from teachers, professors, uh, everybody. I I'm working on that. 
The other thing you can expect from the message is exactly what I, I say. I inspire, educate, and create healthy lifestyles for all. That is not a motto. That is not just a mission statement. That is a way of life for me. Um, you can expect from the message that I will be every day working hard to ensure that we don't have as many caskets as we had last year. My job as a person given this gift is to use my gift and to use the pain I went through so that the next student, so that the next professor, so that the next family member did not have to suffer pain from this illness. I am trying to equip the world with health because I firmly believe the healthiest nations are the most productive. On that note, we will wrap up with today's episode. Freddie, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. I am Destiny Jenkins. Um, did you want to mention anything else, Freddie, before we get out of here? Yes, I just want to, number one, say thank you for not only the work that you are doing, but the graduate school at Rutgers. I find it to be an absolute blessing that you're having tough conversations and telling good conversations. And you're allowing people from different walks of life to come on these platforms and share their truth. I am grateful. I'm humbled. And if there's anything y'all ever need, please reach out. I love to serve. Thank you so much. And we are we are we are super blessed to have you um, with us today. And we are grateful for that. <laughs>